Hello and welcome to Bread and Thread, a podcast about food and domestic history. I'm Liz. And I'm Hazel. We are two friends who studied uh, archaeology together and love history. And today we have a third person. Nick is back to talk to us more about medieval stuff. Yeah, I'm... This falls firmly into the early modern camp. Um, Medieval-ish. Yeah. I mean, early modern is just medieval in a nicer coat. Yeah. It's just medieval in in a nicer climate. Yeah, and and it's got a printing press to tell all of its buddies about its nicer coat. Mm. And special laws about who can wear the nice coats. But that's going to be a different episode. (laughs) That's going to be next episode. Yes. This episode. That that does remind me of an of a um of, of a question I have because there's lots always controversy about how you start and end an era, academically speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, there's sort of always talking in medieval studies about all right, is it you know fourteen fifty, fourteen seventy five? Do we count the discovery of the quote unquote new world as when it becomes early modern? Mm-hmm. And I wonder what's the in in um, archaeology and like more material history. What's where's the what's the big kind of crossover point where people have firmly digging their heels in? Is it the same thing of like? Well, in in UK archaeology, it's generally fourteen eighty five. Oh, um, because that's the Battle of Bosworth. So it's when you go from Plantagenets to Tudors. That's the line between medieval and early modern. Of course, that makes sense because um, a lot of the kind of study, like in um, that I encountered, was a lot of dealing with the more interiority and the difference between public and private mm. selves. And there's a hell of a lot of scholarship invested in trying to get inside the head of the Tudors and seeing them as kind of prototypical. Uh, modern rulers, in a sense, they we, we look at them in the way that people um, often do with uh, presidents and premiers mm-hmm. of the 20th century. But anyway, what have you been making or baking, Hazel? Because we're going to do the structure of the episode. <laughs> we're not getting into philosophy here. Oh, but but what if I want to philosophize on this domestic history podcast? This is not a historical theory podcast. Oh, if someone wants to give us Patreon money to make them a bonus episode about the the line between medieval and early modern, we will do that. But this is not about that. This is about an Italian manners book. It is saying that you could make some crack in historiography merch. Are you saying I can't talk about post-processionalism? I think if you do, I will come to Kent or Sussex. I, I don't remember <laughs> which one you're in. I will come to the south. Just a blur to you. <laughs> I will come to the south and I will physically fight you. <laughs> I mean, that's contemporary archaeology, isn't it? Um... <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Theory was the bone of my life at undergrad. I think I wanted to look at bones. I like contemporary. I'm sorry. I like contemporary. I don't like theory. It's it's okay that you just want to look at bones because books are just tree bones. Yes, they are. 
what have you been making or baking over? <laughs> so I have been, um, did I talk about this on the last, I, I don't think I did. I'm uh, making up my dress form, um, which is a pattern from Bootstrap Fashion where you can send your measurements and um, they will like send you a pattern to make your own like custom dress form which is a much cheaper way of getting a customized dress form, except that you have to make it yourself. So this this sounds like an advert. It's not an advert. Um, it's just what I've been doing. <laughs> yeah, it, is, um, it is very cool and I would like to do it. But, but the problem is I need a dress form to learn how to do the sewing thing. <laughs> you can see the problem. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily, it depends what you'll do. Like whether you want to kind of go straight into doing your own your own design and stuff but um yeah I would say it's uh it's not been easy for me but it's definitely uh doable like I've learned quite a bit of new stuff doing this and um it, the materials are, are stuff that you can easily find um and it's it's pretty it seems to be pretty accurate to my body um although I have heard some things about the bust height and stuff um like not not always matching up so I think I think it's always worth it if you wanted to do that to um to provide like all of the measurements because there's an optional extra measurement section um but yeah it seems kind of do what they want yeah that is true <laughs> there's there's no taming them but um yeah it seems to be uh shaking up pretty well so far and um yeah it's weird there's like a deflated human torso just hanging out in my on my ironing board right now um, yeah that's been an interesting process and I will hopefully be finished soon what about you um I don't think I've made anything new because large project um I finished I finished the blanket that I'm making for you and I planted some edible flowers I'm internally screaming. Um, awesome. Because I like to eat flowers and those are the ones you can eat without getting sick. I am um, I love the idea of colourful salads. Like my my demon is a goat. And I wish to eat the flowers. You crave that vegetable. I do crave that vegetable. <laughs> Um, so Nick, you terrible, terrible person, um, what, what, what are you teaching us about? Is this how you treat all your guests? Just the ones I'm married to. Okay. Well, <laughs> what I'll be talking about is a guy who was a fixture of my undergrad degree and who cropped up your a bit. Your undergrad degree being English. English yes. And also cropped up in medieval studies. Um, he is the go-to man for discussions of early modern societal trends and fashions and courtly life. And you know, there's there's a crowded field. There's, is, there's is so he many. The gossip girl. He is the gossip girl. It's <laughs> Baldassare Castiglione and his book of the courtier. XOXO. Medieval Italian names are so good. They are amazing. There's some cracking ones. 
um in here there's but first i shall i shall explain a little bit more what what it's about and how it's put together it's basically a um a discussion a, a long discussion over uh over a few days um with castiglione um putting in these real historical figures and every and people are exchanging views about what to wear what not to wear how to not sound too boastful how to just get everything just right so that nobody thinks you're the biggest tool in the shed basically. okay so it's, it's not like actual actual real conversations it's like he's made them up as examples yeah yeah uh for instance um there's uh a conversation between uh Cesare Gonzaga, another good name, and uh, Federico, who probably has a much longer noble name, but I don't care about that right now. Um, yeah, this where Gonzaga says, if a gentleman is worthy in other things, what he wears will neither enhance nor diminish his reputation. But you are right, answered Federico, although who of us, when he sees a gentleman passing by, wearing a gown corseted in various colours, or covered with strings and ribbons and bows and cross-lacings, does not take him for a fool or a clown. Anyone who may have lived for some while in Lombardy, said Pietro Bembo. Oh, Bembo. Yeah, that, that gives you a little flavour of, of how it's put together. This is um, quite, a, quite a nice translation, I think, by uh, George Bull. Um, thank you, George Bull. It's very, that, that did feel like a very modern... Um, a very modern conversation compared to some mm. of the translations uh, we I, I imagine we've all had to look at of older older historical texts Definitely. i mm. i do i know it's very silly but i enjoy bembo being in there just being sassy because he was a lover of lucrezia borgia so i enjoy him just being in there like and here's bembo's opinion mm. it's bembo time like he was he was a poet and probably slept with Lucrezia Borgia, and that's basically everything that he's known for. Pretty much. Hey, this really is like celebrity gossip. Yeah, the um, it's one of those texts where you you feel like you'd en you'd enjoy it a lot more coming to it later. I think when talking about my own personal experience of of reading this, because. This is in the middle of looking at, say, Paradise Lost or Hamlet or other things like that, where a lot of the other things we'd read um, from the early modern period would be very action-packed or procrastination-packed with some pretty speeches. But this is this is um, something that seems very, very abstract and far removed to a lot of people. It's it's very much the kind of thing that you will only ever read if you're a student mm. of this of this <laughs> subject. But then you do come across some some thoughts in here and you go, oh my God, we've been having the same conversations for centuries. Yeah, and I think it it is especially in the clothing section, isn't it? Which is what what I wanted you to talk about. Yeah. Um like somebody's just somebody saying, so all people talk about courts in the same way as they talk about everything else and affirm that those which they remember from the past were far more excellent than 
full of outstanding men than those we know today. Like, <laughs> people, are, people have found it's never too early to start being nostalgic. Yeah, isn't there a quote from Cicero um, where, so, so in like ye, ye ancient Roman times where he's just like, well, times are not as good as they used to be. Children don't listen to their parents and everyone is writing a book. Yeah. yeah. There's literally everyone just goes, back in my day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the human condition. Yeah. Like we established a couple of episodes ago that people go, is anyone going to eat that? People also go, back in my day. These are the two things people say. Mm. One one thing that really stood out to me in in looking at looking at it for kind of fashion and things like that was um, discussing whether or not fashion counts as a form of deceit, whether trying to make yourself look better than you are is obscuring your true character or you're merely enhancing what's already there. Like, um, oh. yeah, where, like... Take, take a young lady swimming on their first date. Yeah. Um, um, here's, here's an example. And if you have a lovely jewel without a setting and it passes into the hands of a good goldsmith who greatly enhances its beauty by setting it well, would you not say that he is deceiving the eye? And yet he deserves praise for the deception, since with good judgment and skill, his cunning hands often add grace and adornment to ivory or silver or to a lovely stone by setting it in fine gold. So you must not say that art, or this kind of deceit, if you want to call it so, deserves censure. Nor is it wrong for a man who believes he is competent in some matter to seek cleverly the occasion when he can demonstrate his abilities, and, in the same way, to conceal the things that he believes merit little praise, though everything should be done with circumspection and reserve. Do you not recall that, without appearing to seek them out, King Ferdinand was always ready to seek the opportunity from time to time to go out in his doublet? And this he did because he was proud of his physique. And also, since he did not have attractive hands, that he rarely, if ever, took off his gloves. I also seem to remember having read that Julius Caesar very readily took to wearing a laurel wreath in order to hide his baldness. But in all these matters, one must be very prudent and judicious, so as not to exaggerate in any way. Very often, in avoiding one error, a man falls into another, and seeking to win praise, wins blame. Okay, that was a very long but very interesting quote. But now all I can think about is the King of Spain walking around in a tank top and gloves. Yeah, basically. It, I like it. It is a look. Probably a leathery tank top. Oh, that, that <laughs> makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> but also, merch idea. Yeah, go, go for it. Can you, can you get some uh, red bubble leathery tank tops? We can try. Okay. I really yeah, do like the, the sentiment in that, though, because it's essentially saying, like, well, yeah, it's changing the look of something to make you look at it differently, but that's okay, because, you know, it's done for good reasons, which I like because I thought it was going to go towards the whole, um, you know, dress, dressing above your station or to conceal certain things is, is trickery, you know, like people like to... To say that about uh people who wear a lot of makeup like oh it's it's trickery um i guess would be a modern parallel um mm. but um 
but then yeah I really like that notion of like well yeah but that's okay like it's it's all good <laughs> absolutely yeah it's um yeah Cesare Gonzaga um talks specifically about uh the the real or fake beauty of woman but it seems like it's a very tricky thing that Castiglione's doing when he t when he makes these statements about uh, the deceptions of skill or um, having having some character or another say, you know, take this fine woman swimming, because you know you can't necessarily pinpoint one of these people because none of them are Castiglione, um, and say, ah, oh, that's what he thinks. That's that's the claim he's making. I think that makes that allows him to play things very safe in a way because mm. it's sort of just a low a low stakes drama or, or comedy is what's happening here this, mm. they're just they're just talking they're uh but the fact that it's fictionalized version of real people is really odd like if i went out and wrote a book where like i, I don't know who equivalents would be like charles dance and caroline duffy just have a conversation about people going out in stiletto heels. Like, that's basically the same thing. You know what this is? It's the crown. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. <laughs> it's RPF. Oh, no. So that that is the... That it's is... political RPF. So that's the bone of contention here. Is it is it like the crown or is it RPF? Or is the crown RPF? I would argue that the crown is RPS. Okay. Absolutely is. Yeah. It's um, for people who don't know, that's real people fiction or fanfic about actual people. It's weird. Yeah. Which the crown absolutely is because it's a fictionalized drama about real people who are who are still living now. Which yeah, like it's not it's not historical fiction because yeah, like. I think at the point that the crown's at now, pretty much every character in it is still alive. Yeah, just mm. so it's, it's just RPF, as is this book. Mm. Which, but then again, I guess I guess you could argue this book is fictional accounts of real people, but for the purpose of discussion, like it's not not really, I suppose, trying to represent the opinions of these people. Like it's more like. This is for the purposes of like discussion. It's it's just okay. You'll you can imagine these people having the discussion. Oh yeah, like I I get that, but I still find it. I know it's like a thing. Like Plato had things where he made up conversations between him and just random made up people to make mm -hmm. his points. Like this isn't a new thing when he's doing it, but I still find it really weird. Like, it's not as bad as Plato basically making up people in order to own them. Mm. Which I'm sure our philosophy for, philosopher former housemate would agree is exactly what that is. Yeah, um, But it's still odd. It, is, it really is. So what, is. what sort of opinions is he espousing then? Or are these fictionalised real people espousing? Because I, I saw you making a lot of notes. Well, there's this one count, I think it's Count Ludovico, um, has the problem, like the convert, 
somebody's side of a conversation starts on one page and it goes to the like three pages off. So it's hard to tell which count is mm. is uh, doing the misogyny. Some Italian noble. Yeah, some Italian nobles doing the misogyny. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of it's. I mean, it's hard. I'd say it's one of those kind of patch. This guy's doing something that's kind of a a patronizing. You know, I respect women. I I like them, but have they considered doing all of these things differently? Because I that's how I like it. It's like, um, now every woman is extremely anxious to be beautiful, or at least failing that to appear so. So when nature has fallen short in some way, she endeavours to remedy the failure by artificial means. That is why we have women beautifying their faces so carefully and sometimes painfully, plucking their eyebrows and forehead, and using all those tricks and suffering and all those little agonies which you ladies imagine men know nothing about, but which they know only too well. Oh. See, that is a very common thing, isn't it? It's, oh, the ladies want to be beautiful. I can't imagine why. I can't imagine... What is what outside force is telling women that they have to be beautiful? Yeah, I, I it's feel just like, them being weird. Yeah, I, I feel like in, in this next bit, you start to feel um, the response to this is interesting because it makes me start to feel maybe uh, Castiglione is more on the woman's side because there's quite a put down um, here by Madonna Costanza Fragoso. Um, Willapton said, it will be far more courteous of you to continue with your discussion and to say, what is the source of grace and speak of courtiership rather than seek to expose the faults of women to no purpose? Nice. Hazel, as the woman on this podcast, <laughs> what, what, are your opinions about, what are your opinions about Italian count number one? <laughs> um... Well, it very much sounds like uh, the dude who is sort of trying to show off with his knowledge of like all the, like he said, all the little sufferings that women do and think that men don't know anything about, but we do. Um, yeah, it's sort of like, do you though? <laughs> is, 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 he the, is he the fake ally? Um, yeah, it, it, it sort of seems like a, um, I guess, um, not, not necessarily passing judgment on it, but it seems quite such, you know, um, mm. it's sort of like, oh, I, I see what you're all doing to try and be beautiful, but he doesn't really talk about the why of it. Um, you know, like you said, like, um, it's more of a comment on, on what people are doing, uh, without any, any thought to like why they might be doing this other than just oh, to be beautiful because reasons because wanting to be neutral to be beautiful is a neutral thing with no particular cause or effect yeah this guy gets worse by the way oh do no I, do you want to hear him get worse <laughs> um yeah surely you realize how much more graceful a woman is who if indeed she wishes to do so, paints herself so sparingly and so little that whoever looks at her is unsure whether she is made up or not, in comparison with one whose face is so encrusted that she seems to be wearing a mask and who dare not laugh 
for fear of causing it to crack, and who changes colour only when she dresses in the morning, after which she stays stuck still all the rest of the day like a wooden statue, letting herself be seen only by torchlight, in the way a wily merchant shows his cloth in a dark corner. So yeah, take us on Lady Swimming. Yeah, that is that to a T, isn't it? I mean, that's that is that is so modern in its, its sentiment. Like that's the exact same conversation that happens today about um you know the whole no makeup look thing. Um, but it's also in an era where makeup is there to deliberately make you look like all pale but with some red bits. Hmm. Pale but not in the way like it's not as bad as now where it's like, yes, I just have naturally blue glittery eyelids. But it's still not great. It's it's the pale that makes it look like I'm saintly, not like I'm dying. Yeah, we're not Victorian. <laughs> Um, um, I th- I think it's interesting that like certainly beauty standards change, but um, this conversation doesn't. <laughs> yeah. it, it strikes me as one of the interesting things about this period that Castiglione is really exemplifying here is there's a sort of lateral move in a sense because you can see the there's more of the development of the idea of the public and the private. Um, especially in a bit that I want to uh, read out that follows that just in just a second. Um, you get this increased perception of public and private, which allows for, you know, more, just more interesting drama, for instance, and more, um, it just opens up a whole lot of other gateways for discussion, but at the same time means there's something else you can accuse a woman of, aside from somebody being impious, as uh, you know, they've got this whole system of of courtliness that's really expanding in complexity, and it means there's so many more things that you can do wrong. And it's all women's fault. Yep. <laughs> yeah, there's um, there's a it gets really weird here. Um, talking about how if if you see a woman passing along to on the way to church, um, does it? And yeah, she has to raise just enough of her skirts to reveal her foot and open a little of her leg. Does it not strike you as a truly graceful sight if she is seen just at that moment, delightfully feminine, showing her velvet ribbons and pretty stockings? Certainly I find it very agreeable, as I'm sure you all do, because everyone assumes that elegance in a place where it is generally hidden from view must be uncontrived and natural rather than carefully calculated, and that it cannot be intended to win admiration. There's the thing, it's like... Ladies wearing fancy underwear are more pious. That's the the thing, it's it's an interesting... Is that that a correct interpretation? Well, the way I'm I'm seeing it is kind of, you don't know you're beautiful, almost. I I was just thinking that, like, not not to quote uh, 2010's pop, but you don't know you're beautiful, that's what makes you beautiful. Yeah. like is he saying that? Um, well, it's it's interesting that you think all oh, this is uncontrived. Um, I guess that the the first person is saying that like it, it seems more desirable or more elegant to them because it's 
it's like uncultivated or like it's um it's seen as something like that's normally covered but in this case is candid i guess is the word i'm looking yeah. for i i guess it's it's a combination i think it's, it's definitely an all of all of the above thing it's uh oh i'm not i'm not supposed to see that um she's not trying to be show agency so i don't feel threatened Ooh, and also yeah again with the it being a very modern thing it's that thing of be perfect but don't be high maintenance Ooh. you have to be effortlessly perfect and attractive yeah it's otherwise you're deceitful you're terrible sluts with your ribbons yeah, it's very, it's very much. Um, I'm going to mix metaphors horribly. It's a tightrope thing, tightrope thing. Um, it kind of comes across as like it's, this isn't human interaction. You're talking about, um, Senor Counterino. You're talking figure skating, that effortless, but privately pursuing um, perfection and the appearance of effortlessness. Mm. Like how. How many more of these little agonies would you need to go through to be this guy's perfect girl? I'm going to guess I, all of them. Yeah. I do have to say, though, if I was a Renaissance lady and I had, you know, spent money on all of these really pretty stockings and garters and ribbons and things and, you know, spent all the time getting dressed up in them, I would definitely flash some ankle and calf. Like, <laughs> I didn't spend all the money on expensive garters for nobody to see them. I have to ask, does this book have a lot of stuff about men's fashion and things like that? Because, I mean, that went wild in this period. Here and there, yeah, here and there. I'm guessing not as much. Mm. But I just, there has to be something. Yeah. There's, um... I mean, like, the, the big things that stood out to me was, like, the discussion of, you know, a lot of people, a lot of men dressing flashy look like clowns. Unless you're in Lombardy. But, yeah, everybody dresses like that in Lombardy. Oh, those, those wacky Lombards. The wacky, the wacky, wacky Lombards. It's my favourite Hanna-Barbera cartoon. <laughs> um, yeah, it does, it does seem to be men don't look like a clown. You know, look nice. But don't do the kind of Ferdinand Julius Caesar midlife crisis kind leather of thing. Yeah, don't wear it. Don't wear the leather tank top, but just be be classy. You know, these uh, there's not not too much. There's a lot more about the interiority of men, as is the least surprising thing. Mm. Just here's how you try to flatter somebody without seeming slimy. Here's how you, uh, you know, bring up your poetry or ask the um, the king's theatre censor to read your stage play. I don't know it's if anybody like... actually says that in there, but uh, they may as well do. That sounds like useful advice. Yeah, there's, it's more practical advice um, towards men and then some admonishments 
from men to women in in this, it seems. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm giving a reductive view, like a more detailed reading, I think, would show, uh, would delve further into um, into the women of this book because they're, they're very interesting in the way that they respond very politely but pointedly oh, to this stuff. I'm sure, but I think, yeah, it's... It's not a short book, and we're half an hour in already. Yeah. Well, one one thing that I noticed just before the episode started, which I found really interesting, was somebody being incredibly modern, um, Federico, talking about responding to a guy called uh, Senor Magnifico. <laughs> I know that's going to be Mr. more. Mr. Magnificent. I know it's going to be more of a title than than a name. I'm sure, he's got a proper. But also, name. Mr. Magnificent. Mr. Magnificent. Yeah. Um, he's talking about somebody who's being quite stern about women, um, like being in, in passionate love and whatnot, is not suitable for women who are married. Um, and talking about women wanting to have affairs and, you know, just, wow, a woman exercising sexual agency. That's tricky. Disgusting. Yeah. But Federico says, um, I think you're, yeah. This opinion of yours seems to be very austere. And I imagine you must have learned it from some preacher of the sort that reproached women for falling in love with ordinary laymen so that they can keep the best things to themselves. Indeed, I think you're imposing excessively hard rules on married women. But there are many to be found whose husbands hate them for no reason at all and do them great injury, sometimes by loving other women, sometimes by subjecting them to all the annoyances they can think of. And then again, some women are forced by their fathers to marry old men who are in poor health and filthy and disgusting who make their lives one long misery. And if these women were allowed to get a divorce from those with whom they are so badly matched, then perhaps it would be improper for them to love someone other than their husband. But sometimes through bad fortune or incompatibility of temperament or some other cause, it happens that in the marriage bed, which ought to be a haven of concord and love, cursed and devilish dissension plants his evil seed to produce anger, suspicion and the sharp forms of hatred which torture those unhappy souls, cruelly bound together till death by an indissoluble bond. Is this, is this pro-divorce Renaissance Italian? It is pro-divorce Renaissance Italian. That is, because the thing is, there's some nice, um, nice writing in this book at various points on various different sides. There's, I, I do think that at the very least, when he's making characters say some horrible stuff, he's at least being in reasonably inventive about it. Like a lot of it comes across as very hackneyed now because we've heard the kind of, oh, you don't want to smile in case it ruins your makeup thing a million times, but 500 years ago. You know, people only said, edge. yeah, people would only said that half a million times. So it's new stuff. Um, but with this, it's very, it's very impassioned there. It's, um, yeah, it, it seems to be very, very particularly upset about the filthy and disgusting old men in, in poor health. The, like, Unhappy about a husband treating a wife badly, but also, oh man, these beautiful ladies, they deserve better. By the way, I, Federico, 
was around. <laughs> but I could, be reading, I, I, I could be reading I, the line <laughs> things into it. No, I, I was getting that as well. It's, it's a little bit white knight. Yeah, a little bit. It seems like he's um, sort of doing his best to present sort of objective conversations, um, as it were. Um, then, I mean, obviously, not because it's it's all him writing, but um, yeah, it. I mean, I'm unclear on whether um, does that end with the. Just do any characters win the argument at some point, or is it more just there's conversations between people giving sort of both sides of the argument? Is it kind of a like cause your video here to discuss lipstick? Well, would you like to would you like to know who has the last word in this book? I would. Signora Emilia replied, on condition that if Signor Gaspari should want to criticize women and slander them in his usual manner, he shall give his bond to stand trial, for I arraigned him as a fugitive from justice. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. You have to ask. Yeah. Do we know that this was a real man that wrote this? Because I'm getting vibes in places that it's a lady just being like, I'm sick of all of these men telling me what to do. I he's like, do we know that he is a real person? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He's he's very well documented. Uh papal oh, nuncio. Disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I guess that he was just a genuinely um forward thinking figure for fifteen twenty-eight, which mm. is that is a that's some pretty strong stuff in that book because I, I forgot how it ended. I thought it was just going to be. And shall we discuss these matters some more? No, sir. No, I need to return to my studies and you to your court. I wish you well, and you also. Like that's exactly how you'd expect it to yeah, end, isn't it? But instead, it's almost exactly five hundred years ago. A woman saying. Stop! Stop criticizing. Yeah, women, like please. They have a lot of those goodbyes, and it's the the dawn. Um, dawn begins, and everybody's leaving after the party. But it's it is very much a a kind of. By the way, you thought it was just going to be an open ended thing, but just so you know, I'd like to state an opinion. And. I think this would be a very interesting, it is a very interesting book imagined written by a woman. Um, but it's also, it's, to me, it's very interesting that this, about how perceptive he is, like when, mm. when writing about those concerns and about those expectations. Because, you know, I can, I can imagine somebody being in some cases you're being a bit too harsh not all women are like this deceitful um model you're setting out but in fact he's he's going a bit further and saying well that's, that's a bit much your expectation here and there it's, it, it does make these people sound quite unreasonable 
it sounds like a thing that has been written by someone who has definitely spent a lot of time hanging around in the courts and with the nobility and was heard all of these kinds of discussions go on again and again. Yeah, I'm thinking about it with as uh, as papal nuncio in particular. I imagine that you know I, I know that the Vatican has always been very much a driving force in earthly affairs in the periods. Of course, you know all sorts of battles and things happened, but as as a nuncio, you imagine him to be less involved. Um, than some other ambassadors and courtly types in that, in the um, in the grottier things, is like. <clears throat> By the way, the church says no, stop it, rather than um, just turning up for canapes and just being able to do whatever because you've got the power. It's he's representing the pope, mm. so maybe maybe that made him a bit more of a bystander in a sense. I'd love to know what his relationship with his wife was like. Yeah. Because Nuncios could get married, couldn't they? So I assume that he had one. Yeah, I'm gonna just gonna have a, a little peek. Um, it's essentially a courtier, it says in this Penguin Classics brief biography. Part of an ancient Italian aristocratic family. So he had it made. Definitely knew what he was on about then. Yeah. Is the book um, something that was formally published, or was it like one of those things that it gets written and gets passed around the author's friends and and circles? Just wondering if it was something that was available to you know young courtiers who might be just starting out on their networking journey. I guess. Okay. Um, when he'd when he written it, um, yeah, he roughed out a a draft about um, ten years before it was it was probably probably finished, um, and kind of wrote wrote it in a period when he got he got fired from a non non serial job, just a regular kind of courtier job. I was living on his estate and just basically writing out a whole bunch of stuff about how these conversations go. He showed it to several friends, including Pietro Bembo, who appears in it. Um, yeah, he was constantly urged to publish it. Little more was done, however, until 1526. Um, when somebody, when he had, <clears throat> yeah, little was done until 1526 when he heard of somebody's death and um he had a lot of memories coming back of like that time of his of his life so it was it was very much towards the end of his life he didn't have to but it was like published published yes april 1528 um distributed as a small circulation to friends and to the most important personages but being Castiglione, you know, somebody from a, a noble line who is a diplomatic figure, that's going to be everyone. 
you yeah. know this guy partied. And also, like, I feel like friends and important personages for someone active in court circles is going to cover most people who can read. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> He's, he sounds very much like the guy who knows everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's something that's come up um, just again and again every time you you throw the Renaissance. It's had a huge huge effect, I think, um, on on people then, and also on uh, the interpretation of it by modern scholars like Stephen Greenblatt, who's like the man when it comes to. Um, just broad studies of the Renaissance um, likes to talk about self-fashioning, which seems to be seems to come up in this in this book a bit as a as a concept of well, why why would you not dress yourself up a bit fancy? Why would, because that's that's a skill, so that's not fake. Like the the blacksmith thing and the jewel, it's uh, yes, you're changing something. It's not natural, but the fact that you did it makes it so, makes it natural. It's uh, it's quite nice, really. Yeah. yeah. Only you can make you. Exactly. And it's not something, it's something that seems to be brought up that they don't, they don't extend to women that same notion. Mm. It's, mas it's masculine self-fashioning. Well, that's because women don't have agency. Yeah. Souls. Makes makes me think of the uh... women are just horny and extravagant and need to be stopped. That's that's the Renaissance attitude, right? Yeah. It's um, yeah, it's it's not a book I've thought about for a while, but um, when we talked about it, when we brought up as as a thing to discuss on the episode, it's yeah, it got me really. Fired up and curious, and it's, it's some, got some cracking stuff in there, hasn't it? Yeah, it's it's a lot a lot braver than expected. And I think that's the same is true for a lot of early modern um, works because you you just kind of picture them as being very um, controlled and um, and stayed in their interactions with each other because um, I. A lot of modern um, modern historical dramas, for instance, if they're showing you a court, they're very prim and proper. They act like Victorians. Yeah. Um, Even in stuff like Rain. Yeah, in stuff like um, Rain, which is about Mary Queen of Scots. And... It's incredibly ahistorical. Yeah. In, like, it's ahistorical in very fun ways, but it's also very... And everyone was very proper because they were posh and it was the olden times. Yes, yeah, it's, it's very much a 19th uh, to 20th century idea of poshness. But if you want to be realistic about how um, how people conducted themselves, then you need to be way freer with it. Like, stick a spittoon in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, it may not be correct, you know, in strict materialist terms, but that gives you the vibe. Yeah, it's, it's like changing the music in a historical thing to pop so that people understand that it's the popular music of the time rather than playing some classical and everyone goes, ah, 
classical, the sophisticated music. Yeah, abs absolutely. Um... This this is turning into a different discussion. I'm very <laughs> sorry that people are getting just all of my historical fiction opinions. Yeah, but I think coming back to coming back to the book, it's something that it is a a very good general very good general source on the kind of cultural conversations that would be going on. Mm. And like like we've been saying the for the past hour, it's it's really modern, and I think you know so so much of the popular perception of the past is often in shows like that. So getting it getting things from the um, like from the horse's mouth is is really different. Definitely, because you don't just you don't just get the one character who says, "Excuse me, I am I am the woman who stands up for herself." And tries to change things. It's all the of these women. The woman who uses the word patriarchy in the 16th century. <laughs> yes, it's it's all of the women in this book stand up for themselves in different ways, and they and they say they have different critiques of the way men view them, and the men often have critiques of the way men do things and view women, and don't necessarily follow through on them. It's it's a lot more layered than than you get on TV. It's, it's really interesting as a, a kind of social, um, yeah, just just like a slice of life, I guess. Um, yeah, I guess we do tend to think of the past as like a very serious place, possibly because a lot of the texts um, that we might have seen, especially in school, are more serious or perhaps moralizing ones. But this is, it sounds like he was having fun with it yeah i i feel it's it's kind of um i th i think our perception of the past is kind of like if somebody um went to the local went to a park around here or a, or a canal um like a couple of hundred years on and they found an ancient sign uh, from our time that said no swimming in the duck pond and they concluded I see. It was a serious time. Nobody swam in duck ponds, rather than somebody did that, so they had to put a sign up. That's how <laughs> I feel about all those moralizing works you mentioned. Mm. Um, all of these, um, all of this code is there because somebody broke it. Yeah, in order to be against something, that thing has to exist. Absolutely, yeah. Um, one one thing I wanted to to bring up because it's hard to see which side. Um, the, the book is on sometimes. Yeah. It's just imagine this staged. Just mm. take a couple of conversations from it and stick it up on on stage, and you've got some contemporary uh, theater, really, just about ideas. And I think you get across a much more layered idea if you actually acted it out. That's that's my suggestion. I'm closing. I'm closing on as a as a guest. Anybody out there? With a with a stage in the cast, get bemboing. Somebody be bembo. Bemboing. Yeah. Do you want a bembo? I'm I'm un uncertain what that would involve, so I'm gonna say no. Is um, it, would you hate me if I bemboed with your spouse? Yeah, just as long as you remain six feet apart. 
<laughs> Leave room for Renaissance Jesus. I, I don't know if, if Bembo has the best lines, but he has the best name. Yeah, it's it's a very good name. Um, so yeah, on on that note, um, yeah, if you want us to make you a bonus episode, um, or if you want access to Patreon exclusive recipes and a Discord server, um, we are on Patreon as Bread and Thread. We also have a Twitter at Bread and Thread where you can see um, updates about the episodes, what's coming up next, things that we've been up to, and historical hot takes. And if you want to suggest an episode or inform us of your bemboing, um, you can email Bread and Thread Podcast at gmail.com. So Thank you for listening and we'll be back next time with Century Laws.